Amen. Appreciate that. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. Um, we'll be announcing it on Sunday. Uh, on um, July the 14th, that's two Sundays from now, In the e after the evening service, we're going to have a going away fellowship for Pastor and Mrs. Pierre Vicente. And so you can sign up out in the book so we know how many uh, to set up for. And it's finger foods, all right? So finger foods is two hands to handle a Whopper, amen? That's the finger food we're talking about. We're not talking about little dainty things, amen? We want something we can grab a hold of and we can eat. But uh, we want to have a time of fellowship to, together with them. And so mark that on your calendar, uh, July the 14th, after the evening service. <clears throat> First John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, uh, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was from the Father, and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so the Christian and his fellowship, it's very clear that John is dealing with how we interact with one another, our fellowship with one another. The word fellowship, it comes from the Greek word, it just simply means to have in common, or literally sharing with, and so... When we talk about fellowship together, it's based on the fact of what we enjoy together, which we have received of Christ, and uh, how we relate to the Lord, and how we relate one towards another. Uh, it's interesting, just in the first few verses of 1 John, four different times, John is identifying the fact of things that he's, they had seen and things that they had handled. In verse 1, notice that which was from the beginning which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes. And then in verse 2, he just says the same thing again. For the life was manifested, we have seen it and bear witness. And then in verse 3, he says, And that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. And then in verse 5, he says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. And so it's very clear that the thing that John is revealing to the believers in the early church uh, was based upon a personal experience of uh, seeing the Lord, uh, fellowshipping with the Lord, interacting with the Lord, and uh, uh, certainly the communication he is bringing to them is based on that experience. And when we talk about trying to have fellowship with someone, sound fellowship, Christian fellowship, is based on who it is or what it is that we have in common. And John wanted them to understand that because of the fact they had trusted Christ as their Savior, uh, there was a foundation, if you will, an experience of being able to enjoy their life together. 
And so here's a couple of things here. The proclamation of fellowship is in verse 1 and 2. And uh, uh, letter A is just simply this, the starting point. It says, that which, that which was from the beginning, uh, there's always a starting point. I was listening to a preacher the other day talk, if basically look, talking uh, philosophically about God and prove, prove of God. Uh, you know, when, you, when something uh, has no beginning... Uh, it has people will look at it and they say, "Well, the world started because of the fact there was a bang." Well, where did the matter come from? The problem is this: if you, it cannot be in existence and not in the ex, in existence at the exact same time. And so, if you say, "Well, there wasn't anything here," but then all of a sudden there was a bang, you can't have it both ways. Uh, you can't look at God and say, well, God wasn't here, wasn't in existence, but all of a sudden God was here. He, he can't have it both ways. Either he was here before everything was created, uh, or uh, he did not exist at all. And certainly this world did not exist until God created it. There was a starting point that the Lord said, uh, let there be light. There was a starting point where God... Uh, created this world in which we live. And so the beginning of creation is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. The Bible does not try to prove that God is real, nor does it philosophically try to present to you, well, maybe God wasn't a being, and then all of a sudden he was a being. The Bible just simply states in the beginning that the Lord created the heavens and the earth. And so it's a statement of reality that he was there. So the, John wants them to understand there's a starting point. There's a beginning, and everything began when God created the heavens and the earth. And so the beginning of creation is in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. But the other things they had in common was the beginning of eternity's clock. Uh, not in reference to time and, and uh, uh, principles, and not in reference to who God is, but in reference to man himself. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And so all of eternity is based on the reality that Christ has always been here. Uh, he didn't start to be here when he was born, but he is the Word that was with God from the beginning. And because he is from the beginning, then everything else has to be based upon the reality of who Christ is. That's why he said before Abraham was, I am. That's why in Revelation he says, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha and Omega. It all is based on the reality that God is the beginning of everything. Nothing exists without God. And John wants them to understand that the fellowship that they have together is based on the common reality that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who has no beginning, but he establishes a way for man to begin and to exist. Man was not in existence until God created Adam and Eve. And uh, we do not have eternal life until there's a point where God saves us by putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And so the starting point 
He says our fellowship is based upon creation and based on the eternity through Christ, but it's also in reference in 1 John 1, 1, the beginning of the incarnation, that which we was born, I'm sorry, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. And so the promise of the Old Testament that Emmanuel, God, would be with us, the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, the Savior that would be here, uh, John is confirming the fact that that which was from the beginning, Christ who was in the beginning, is now among us and he is with us and our fellowship is based upon the reality of who Christ is and what we have in reference to eternal life through faith in him. There is a starting point. There's a starting point of creation. There's a starting point of sin when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. There's a starting point when they were uh, uh, washed, their sins were washed away when the animal was slain and uh, uh, the blood was shed. There's a point where you and I are born biologically into this world, but there's a point where we are spiritually born into the family of God. And John is helping them to understand that everything that we have and enjoy in fellowship is based on the beginning of reality of everything that is because God has always been here. And so the starting point, there's the senses that are prompted. And uh, he speaks in reference to the uh, uh, five senses that are prompted and moved because of the fact of the revelation of Christ. Notice he deals with the ears. He says, the things which we have heard. And uh, certainly in Revelation 2 and chapter 3, over and over again, uh, Jesus says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so God wants to prompt us. He wants to move in our lives based on what we can hear in reference to who he is. And so our fellowship that we have together is based on the fact of us listening to the instruction and the teaching and the sharing and rejoicing and testifying and witnessing to the fact of all that Christ is. Now that's the motivation of our getting together. The motivation of our getting together is not talking about who got the biggest fish this week fishing. Amen, Dave. And it certainly is not who, whose team won football or baseball or whatever it may be. That is not the basis of our fellowship. Our basis of our fellowship is, is uh, founded on the reality that we hear with our ears who Christ is and what he has done in our life. It would be a wonderful thing to be able to, each time we come to church, share with something very unique and powerful that God did in your life this week. All to be able to share something that God did in answering a prayer in your life this week. We ought to be testifying of and speaking to uh, the reality of who Christ is. And I'll tell you, the disciples uh, had something to talk about when Jesus was crucified and buried and rose again. Uh, and they, he heard, they had heard of all that was foretold. They were heard of all that Jesus taught. They are aware of uh, was sharing that with each other, all that Christ did when he was on this earth. And so their fellowship was based upon their ears, but also their eyes. He said, uh, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes. 
Uh, you know, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. And John is confirming the reality of who Christ is and what he did on dying on the cross uh, based on what they saw with their eyes. You know, John would run to the tomb and see with his eyes the tomb was empty. Uh, John would be in the upper room when Jesus would come on that first resurrection day and he would come into the upper room and John would see him with his eyes. And so he's confirming everything that Christ is based on what he saw and what he witnessed. Not just what he heard, but what he saw with his own eyes. The sad thing is with Thomas on the first day, that first day of the week when Jesus arose, Thomas wasn't where he was supposed to be. It was hard for him to believe that Jesus was alive because he may have heard that he would rise from the grave but he had not experienced the vision of seeing the resurrected Savior on that resurrection morning. And so uh, he would have to have that confirmed when Jesus would come into his presence the next Sunday. But your eyes, you need to be seeing what it is that God is doing in your life, in the world in which we live, in the church. We ought to be able to share with one another, this is what I've witnessed in reference to God working in my life. But also, I thought of the mind, he says, which uh, we have looked upon. And uh, the phrase there, have looked upon, is about contemplating in your mind what you experienced or what you saw. And uh, with our mind, you know, Jesus said, I'm not Jesus, but the Apostle Paul said, let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. And so we need to mind the things of God. We need to respond based on what the Word of God has said and not the trends of our society and our times in which we live. In Matthew chapter 22, in verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Uh, you know, we can see things in reference to who Christ is, we can hear about things that Christ is, who he is and what he does in our lives, but how does it impact our thinking? He wants to consume our thought life. He wants to consume who we are and how we plan and how we prepare for situations in life and how we live our life. And we are uh, in this era of so much media and uh, all this social media and everything else, it's, it's our minds are so polluted with so much information. Talk about information overload. And uh, we're so readily and quickly uh, willing to share everything about our personal lives and the lives of those around us. But how willing are we to share what's on our minds in reference to who Christ is? And John is basing the fellowship that they have together on not just what they've seen and what they've heard, but based on what their meditation is, and based on their comprehension of who Christ is. And so uh, the senses were prompted, the mind. And then the hands. And, they, and we say, he says here, and uh, our hands have handled 
And uh, certainly it reminds you of Thomas when Jesus was with them in the upper room and Jesus presents to him, here's my hands, here's my side, stick your finger in my hand, thrust your hand into my side. Uh, listen, the, the disciples knew what it was to handle the body of Christ. They knew what it was to handle the things of God. And so uh, whatever you have to do, uh, do heartily unto the Lord. You, God wants you to use your hands for his glory. And so he says, we've handled him with our hands. And then with the mouth, he says, and bear witness here. He says, handled of the word of life, being willing to bear witness of the things of God and the testimony of the Lord. In uh, Acts chapter 4, I'll get over there real quick. Acts chapter 4 and verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, more than unto God judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And John, uh, John and Peter, the apostles, certainly understood the, thing, the conversations they needed to have and that they were focused on were the witnesses and testimonies of who Christ is and what he had done in their life. And so, Christians, we really do have fellowship one with another uh, based on the five senses, based on what we can speak, what we can understand, what we can do, what we can see, what we can hear, what we can experience in sharing with one another. We are able to edify one another and build one another up in the faith. And so, uh, the proclamation of our fellowship is there is a starting point where we have fellowship with God and with one another, but there is the senses that are prompted in that fellowship that stirs our relationships, our conversations, and our understanding with each other. Then he uh, has the Savior presented. In verse 2 he says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was from the, I'm sorry, that which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. And so, first of all, he declares that uh, Jesus Christ, the Savior that's presented, he is the word of life. And uh, there, there is nothing that you can read or experience or comprehend in this world that confirms the reality of life other than life in reference to who Christ is. Uh, he possesses within himself life, a life that is abundant and powerful and free, and uh, he provides for us a way to be saved and to have eternal life. And because of who Christ is and the life that is possessed of himself, then you and I can enjoy fellowship one with another. John chapter 1 in uh, verse 3 and 4, John helps us to understand that. He says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything uh, made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's why Jesus said, No man takes my life from me. He said, I lay it down and I take it up again. And so in Christ himself... He is literally the word of life because he possesses of himself life. And so the life that you and I can have 
is based on the reality that we receive life from Christ and Christ alone. But he's also the way to the Father. That's why John tells us in uh, verse 2, that which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. And so John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18 it says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And so the wonderful thing is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. And so our fellowship is based on uh, the way to God through Jesus Christ. That's why it doesn't work when we try to have fellowship with people who do not believe that Christ is the Son of God. That's why it doesn't work to try to have fellowship with people who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. There's no common ground. There's no fellowship because there's not sharing the same faith or the same concept about uh, spiritual life and who God is. And so our fellowship, our proclamation of our fellowship is based on the fact that it's through Christ and Christ alone. Then there's the association of fellowship in verse 3 and 4. It says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. He's constantly bringing that up in this narrative about this fellowship. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So the association of our fellowship, first of all, he focuses on the people of fellowship in verse 3. And so he's talking to them very specifically and directly. Uh, I want you to know that we have fellowship with one another. And so it was immediate response of the early believers was to fellowship together. So that next fill-in for you there, number one, is believers. The immediate response of the early believers was that they began to fellowship together. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, you read that when there was 3,000 people saved, immediately they started fellowshipping together with the disciples and with other believers. Uh, The greatest thing that a person can do when they get saved is to quickly unite with other believers and uh, be discipled in the, in the faith, uh, be encouraged in the faith, uh, find your refuge in your faith based on your fellowship with other believers. My wife and I, I've often said this, we never had anyone disciple us. And I was thinking of that. We're going to be 40 years old in the faith come this fall. Isn't that exciting? We're getting old and uh, it was in the fall of 1979 when we got saved. And so that's coming up on 40 years that we've been saved. We didn't have anybody disciple us. But what did we do? We just started going to church. We started going to Sunday school. Uh, we started going to evening service. Started going on Wednesday night. We just started fellowshipping with believers. And people, you know, we somebody to have a picnic over their house, and we just go over there, and we just all fellowship together. We'd go to have a pic, church picnic, and we'd go to some park, and we'd play baseball, which I didn't know how to play, and uh, and all these different things we would do. It was all revolving around Christian fellowship. 
associating with and interacting with believers in Christ. And the people that were our friends, and that's the next point, it is not with the unbelievers. And so what happened very quickly, we just, our whole, what do you call it, a, a circle of friends completely shifted. We used to hang out with all these people that used to go drinking and all this, that, and the other. And we just didn't hang out with them anymore because we wouldn't go to the places where they went. And because we replaced that fellowship, that social interaction with believers. And I see a trend in the church today where believers think it's more important to be connected with unbelievers. Our responsibility to unbelievers is to evangelize them, to bring them to faith in Christ. And then they fellowship with us because we're trusting, we have things that are in common because we've trusted Christ as our Savior. And this is so vitally important because it will make a major difference in your Christian life if you have fellowship with believers and refuse to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And so uh, if John is pleading with them, to establish this association so they could have fellowship. It was the gospel that brings, it is the gospel that brings us on common ground. And uh, we come from all kinds of different backgrounds. We have all kinds of different situations we have to deal with in life. But the thing that brings us together on common ground is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what makes a difference. In Philippians chapter 1, in uh, verse 5 and 6, says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we often quote verse 6. But the reality is that confidence of God continuing to do a work in their life was based on their fellowship in the gospel. And so when folks get away from the Lord and they uh, despise the fellowship with other believers and then they wonder why they're not growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're becoming anemic in their faith, they're becoming weak in their faith, they wonder what is going on. And I tell you, it's very simple. It's Christian fellowship that's been removed. Because we do not have anything common with the unsaved. And you say, well, I have a lot of things in common. Well, maybe you ought to pray about that. Maybe you ought to do some study in the Word of God, what your life ought to be, and how you're to live a separated life unto the Lord. And so, uh, the premise, let her be there, the premise of our fellowship is in verse 3. Uh, that ye may also have fellowship with this and tr- us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, uh, Jesus Christ. And so the premise is simply, number one, they're acknowledging the goodness of our God. And why, why would I want to surrender my life totally to the Lord? Why would I want to change my whole social uh, circle, if you will? Why would I want to change my friends and my connections uh, when I get saved, because God's been good to me. God saved me. He saved you. He delivered you. 
He's given you new life. He's given you hope. And so there's, there's a very simple premise of why should I be focused on Christian fellowship. And it's because I'm just acknowledging the fact that God's been good. Not only that, but reviewing the sacrifice of our Savior. Reviewing in your minds what Christ did just so you could be set free. Just so that you could have the shackles of sin removed off of you. Why should you be focused on being with the Lord and being with the believers in Christ because God has been good to you and Christ has sacrificed everything for you. And those folks that, that, that are unsaved are not going to do anything close or thought-provoking in reference to doing that for you. And so it's all about our, the goodness of God and the sacrifice of Christ. And then there's prospect of fellowship in verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. And the prospect of fellowship is that they might be happy. You know, people, <laughs> I get tickled sometimes. People say, oh, you Baptists, I mean, all you do is put people on guilt trips telling them to have to be in church. No, I just want you to be happy in the Lord. It's hard for a Christian to be happy as a Christian when they're not walking with God. It's hard for a Christian to rejoice and be excited about life when their life is living completely opposite to all that God commands and desires of us. So the prospect is just simply this, that we might have joy. Now, first of all, the preaching of Christ brought joy to the people of Samaria. And uh, I like the preaching of the Word of God. I really do. I like hearing all kinds of preachers preach. I don't think I've ever he heard a, a dead sermon. I think I came close a few times. But I, I, I just love listening to preaching. I love listening to Christian music. I, lo I love just hearing all that, uh, the testimonies of people who have been set free from the bondage of their sin. Uh, there's joy in the premise of proclaiming or preaching who Christ is in Acts chapter 8 in verse 5 and it says, oh, well, no, I guess I better get over chapter 8. At chapter 8 in verse 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. He didn't go down there and try to have a, a big healing service. He didn't go down there and try to have an evangelical type of ecumenical meeting. He didn't go down there uh, with philosophy or psychology. He went down there and just preached Christ to them. What the world needs is for us just to go to them and preach who Christ is, proclaim who Christ is. And then in verse 8 it says, And there was great joy in that city. I'm, I'm afraid we've gotten a concept uh, in uh, 2019 that people will be upset and people will be mad and people won't uh, uh, rejoice in the fact that we're preaching who Christ is. But I know this, you preach Christ and somebody gets saved, they're going to get happy in the Lord. So they were rejoicing uh, with the Lord. There was also identification with Christ through baptism that brought joy to the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 39, it says, When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. 
and uh, how people are filled with joy when they hear about who Christ is and what he can do in their life and they get saved and they get baptized. Now their baptism is identification with who Christ is. They're responding and identifying with Christ because of the propagation of the word of God. And uh, I'll tell you what, they're excited about it. They're happy. Yeah, you know, sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, church is just dead. Why don't you get somebody saved and get them in the water? Amen. Uh, you'll stir some things up. And, uh, you know, you want to have happiness in your life. I don't think of anything greater that you can do than to lead someone to Christ. I, I, I remember the first person I ever led to the Lord. And I tell you, I still, after all this time, I never get over the fact of leading someone to Christ. It's always exciting. I'm praying that I might be able to lead some, one of these kids to the Lord this week as we have vacation Bible school. And uh, it's an exciting thing to identify with the Lord. You know, persecution did not rob them of their joy. In Acts chapter 13, in uh, verse 52, it says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. You realize that when you read that they were filled with joy, and with the Holy Ghost, it was after a time of persecution. And so they did not, listen, the, the persecution that came against the church did not rob them of their joy because their joy is not based on the circumstances and situations in life. It's based on the person of Jesus Christ. And the salvation brought joy to the house of the Philippian jailer. In Acts chapter 16 in verse 34, says, And uh, when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. The salvation that came to that household from, uh, from the Apostle Paul, the Philippian jailer, had joy when salvation came. And uh, people are, all kind, are full of all kinds of distresses and discouragement, discouragements today. But the thing that will make a difference in their life is the salvation of God. So the whole association of our fellowship is based on the premise and based on the prospect of being able to bring people to Christ because Christ is what gives them joy and happiness in life. And so the association. Then, then in verse 5 through 7 we see the evaluation of fellowship. The valuation of fellowship is just this, the illumination of God. In verse 5, thus, I'm sorry, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The illumination of God. God is light. We're living in a dark time. We're living in a dark world. The only thing that's going to bring light to this world is our Savior. The only, way, the only way that's going to light the hearts of men and women and boys and girls is we need to present to them who Jesus Christ is. The illumination of God. Number one, His beauty exceeds that of all nature. You can look around nature. Well, I love driving tractor and trailer and driving buses. And one of the things I've always enjoyed about that is just driving across this country and see the beauty of the land. But there is nothing in this world that has been created by God that is more beautiful than who He is. And uh, He is altogether lovely. And so uh, His beauty exceeds all nature. His glory rises above all heaven. 
In other words, there's not anything that is higher than who Christ is. And uh, every knee, uh, knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The glory of our God. And uh, it helps us to enjoy life. Helps us to evaluate our fellowship. Uh, evaluate our relationships based on not trying to bring attention to ourselves but giving all the attention and all the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then his purity reveals the iniquity of man. And you say, how do you know that men are sinners? Because you look at the, the sinlessness of Christ. And you, you know, we like to compare ourselves with each other. The Apostle Paul says comparing yourselves with yourselves is not wise. Why? Because you might look pretty good when you compare your life to somebody else. Uh, but when you compare yourself to who Jesus Christ is, we fall way, way short. And so his purity reveals the iniquity of man. Whittier said this, Our thoughts lie open to thy sight and naked to thy glance. Our secret sins are in the light uh, of thy pure countenance. There's nothing hid from God. And so the evaluation of our fellowship has to be with Christ and has to be right with God because of the fact that we defile ourselves and in our defilement we, we tear apart our relationships that we have. It must be in Christ. Uh, Dr. Lewis Schaefer said this, secret sin down here is open scandal in heaven. And uh, you think you get away with stuff down here, oftentimes people will... Uh, stay away from fellowshipping with believers because they're caught up with something in their life and they just want to try to hide that thing. Hey, you're not hiding anything from God. Everything's exposed. And so the evaluation of our fellowship, I need to be pure and right with God. And I think that's what we're going to see in 1 John 1, 9, that we, that's why we must confess our sins. So illumination. A letter B there, the condemnation of man. In verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So you can't have it both ways. Notice our, our conversation must be followed up with action. So we can't just say that we're a Christian. You need to live what a Christian is. You just can't say you're holy. You have to live a holy life. And much of what goes on and difficulties that go on with maintaining our young people in church is because of the fact adults say a lot of things, but they don't live out what they say. And young people pick up on that, and it causes them to fall by the wayside. So our conversation must be followed up with action. Number two, our conduct must be exercised by conviction. It's not by a list of rules of do's and don'ts. It's by the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. Our fellowship is with a living God. And so my conduct's going to be responding to the reality of the conviction of God in my heart. Then number three, our disposition must be monitored by honesty. And so we're not talking about putting on some spiritual happy face when you come in church. I'm talking about having a sincere relationship with God that creates an environment of enjoyment of fellowship one with another because we have something that is in common. 
and it's it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and so uh, our disposition must uh, be monitored by honesty. Another see the appropriate uh, the appropriate uh, combination between God and man is in verse seven. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. So number one there, it is maneuvering ourselves into the same position as God, in the light as he is in the light. So in other words, God doesn't change. I am the Lord, I change not. But we must maneuver ourselves into that relationship with God where he is. And, you know, the present day world just seems like it constantly wants to bring God down to our level. We want to manage God to be what we want him to be. When in reality, if we're going to have fellowship with the Lord and with each other, we need to maneuver ourselves to get in line with God. God's not out of line. I'm the one that's out of line. So I got to get myself in line with the Lord. And then it is a cleansing. It is cleaning ourselves through the propitiation of God. We walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. That's maneuvering ourselves in line with God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So there must be a cleaning that takes place based on the sacrifice that appeases or satisfies God in heaven. And when that takes place, we have fellowship with the Lord, but we also have fellowship one with another. And the, I, I really believe with all my heart, one of the great, great principles and experience that believers have is that we can speak the same things. We have the Word of God in front of us. We can experience the same things as being holy before the Lord because of the Spirit of God that indwells us. And because of the presence of God in our life and the move of God upon our hearts, we can enjoy fellowship one with another. You say, I really am having a hard time with being in fellowship with other believers. Then you need to really go to the Lord and pray about that. And wonder what is it that's in your life that's hindering your ability to enjoy what we have in common. And what we have in common is Jesus Christ. Well, I hope that's a blessing to you. You can look up some of the verses. We didn't look up all the verses, but look them up and do a study there in fellowship in uh, our relationship with each other.